So today we're going to be talking about anger or why are we so angry? I think we've been here before. Um, we have been here before. So it's interesting. I, I spoke to one of my clients recently and they've been they've been in a relationship for a number of years, almost a decade, actually. And they had this kind of expectation that they would be married, they would um, move into a house, that they'd settle down and have children. And suddenly there's this kind of huge surprise, massive surprise. And the surprise was that actually the person she was dating just decided, you know, that's it. It's, it, it, it's over for no reason at all and just left her. And what would your response be to something like that? Effing angry. Right. However, she wasn't angry. She was like, I feel so sorry mm. for that person. I feel really sorry for them. So for me, I ask a question, why are we so angry? I, I, I've, I've put this case study forward because in a way it summarizes like nearly everything that we need to discuss about just in those few sentences, because there's much, much more to anger. I mean, from a Western perspective and also from an Eastern perspective than I think we're aware of. Um, just a question to you, first of all, what sources and references do we have in Western medicine or, and psychology for anger? So I think in Western psychology and psychiatry, anger or aggression in some ways seem sometimes as a primary emotion. So it's something that we innately have and kind of we've got born with. Rather we express about it, rather we recognize it, rather we deal with it, rather we actually channel it in some way. I think that is kind of the secondary response to it. But in, in, in the psychology side of it, it's very much there always. And sometimes actually what I see that when I used to be an obstetrician, I used to, you know, um, help women giving birth. And sometimes you actually see baby getting born actually can be a little bit angry too. And I think I've used this example with you before where if you really think about it, like you were inside and lovely and warm, you're in a rocking motion, all this lovely sound, you've been loved, you've been fed, even breathing was done for you. And all of a sudden you've been shoved out into the world where it's actually cold, bright, almost a little bit harsh, lots of noise and stimulation that you couldn't quite comprehend yet. As your question earlier on, I think sometimes my instinct would be to be angry or at least to reject it. So I think I think it's quite primary primary emotion, primary response, and it's actually also quite a necessary one for survival. Mm -hmm. So, in so in the, in the Western psychology, it's, in Western medicine psychology, it's it's there as as a, as a fundamental aspect of psychology, and also it's there with regard to something we need to understand within the medical field itself as well as as part of this. On the Eastern side, we've um, we look at it in kind of an interesting way. We, the, the one of the words that we have, krodha, um, it, 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 some people translate it as fury. Um, um, some people translate it as anger, some rage. Um, some schools also differentiate anger and fury. They say that you know anger is vindictive and fury is an, actually an increase of anger, and they give it a slightly different name, pratigha, behind it. So. I, th I think there's um, some interesting nuances within this. However, I, I like the concept of anger 
Um, I find it in sort of several interesting sources within yoga. I find it within Yoga Sutra. Um, we find in the second chapter of Yoga Sutra, in particular in 234. And I'll explain a little bit more about why this originates later on in this area. And also we find it in chapter two of the Bhagavad Gita, um, roughly around um, 63, 64 of the Bhagavad Gita. So we find it in these areas and, and also it forms something fundamental within Ayurveda as well. And this, I think, links directly to what you're saying, is that it, it links to something called navarasa navarasa means nine nine rasa nine emotions they're fundamental emotional states or emotions and so sort of something like um love um you know laughter sorrow anger courage fear disgust um surprise or, or peace these these are these nine different emotions and within ayurveda they look at the way that these actual emotions actually come to flow how they flow through the body and they're a natural part of the body so the propensity is for everyone to have things so i like the, the the kind of the way that you said earlier with regard to western medicine that you guys kind of looked at it and you said well actually it's, it's a fundamental part of who we are so actually we're both in agreement in both sides west and east actually anger is is fundamentally part of who we are yeah, and I also recognize a few of the other examples you've given from the Nada Rasa is also what we recognize in the West as the primary emotion as opposed to like things like laughter, sadness, disgust mm -hmm. sometimes is recognized as a primary emotion. Mm -hmm. What I think actually hearing you what you said just now about example being given in Yoga Sutra, in Hatha Yoga Patipika, actually is common. It's a very, very common emotion mm -hmm. that we see and hear every day, day in, day out. And my interest in anger is actually, I see it a lot in my clinic room. As you know, as a psychiatrist, I see it a lot in clinic room. And I think how we express it, how we suppress it, how we recognize it, how we not recognize it, how we deal with it head on, how we run away from it. I think that is very interesting for me as well. I think that's, if we, if we move on to that later on, because I think the, to look at how it manifests and how actually we manifest it and work with it, I think is interesting because I think the, the first is, you know, I think we're in agreement that anger is an experience of the body and the mind. So it's actually twofold. You know, it, it, there's, there's something that's happening within the body when you're angry. You know, there's certain things that go on within the body. There's blood pressure increases, there's a sympathetic response that occurs. And I want to, I want us to discuss that as part of this. Um, and but there's also something that's happening within the mind as well with anger. And we begin to understand a lot more about the processes of mind and the way that we process and work with anger as well. Um, how, how is anger defined um, within a Western medical source or Western psychological source? Um, what, what, where do they say it comes from? What, what's the, you know, not the cause of it, but I mean, what's the, you know, how do they construct the idea of anger? Do they, do they is there any more depth with regard to this within, within Western science that you can pull on? So I think, I think for anger response or agitator response, we often correlate it to sympathetic nervous system. So it's more the fight or flight sometimes also a bit of freezing response as well. So that's, as you said already, the blood pressure goes up, the heart rate goes up, because almost like you're ready to fight with someone or you're ready to run away from something because mm -hmm. you're scared. 
you know, your uh, respiratory rate go up. So you're breathing faster. You try to breathe in more air, more blood get pumped in the muscles. You direct all these blood flow away from your other organs, like your digestive system, your reproductive system. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some, sometimes you even dilate your pupil a little bit because you really need to see where you're running to or running away from. And that's all these stress hormones that get implicated as well as so like cortisone, adrenaline. So these are the things that people commonly hear about. Yeah. So these are the physical response. But I do have a question for you because you said something very interesting about it's also in the mind. Because yeah. in Western psychology or neuroscience, that's a top-down response. Sometimes also, uh, there's also a bottom-up response as well. Bottom mm-hmm. up is when something happened to a body, then it trigger kind of upward, like from body, bottom upward to the mind to the brain and trigger memory whatever to actually then create a response that you can physically think and remember but Mm -hmm. sometimes it can can actually be top down so you remember something for example let's say in a someone being in a car crash and actually then three months later six months later get behind the wheel again hearing a neighboring car honk actually trigger a memory of sort and then there's a physical response in your perspective, is there a distinction or is there one more than the other? Well, actually, it all depends on a number of things. The first is that you, you're completely correct. One is that there's external sources that can create this, and it's almost like a perceived threat. So, again, this external source, which is like a perceived threat, gives like a flight and fight response. And that's very much linked to the nervous system or protects us from danger. So, it, it means that actually we've got these external sources come in various different ways. They can be, you know, external sources that are greater than us that actually we want to almost fight against we see as a threat. So something like, you know, the government, like our parents. You know, it's it's interesting. I spoke to a a young lady yesterday and she's she's going to be one of the youngest youngest sportswomen. And we were were discussing this and I said to her, you know, when was the last time you got angry? And she said, I got angry with my mother yesterday. And so for me, this is a kind of like a superior, you know, this it's anger from an external source from a superior response. So we're actually looking at this sort of the this pressure that comes into us and that is relying on us. And we're sort of creating a friction against it. So we've got these sort of external sources, which we can build out a bit more in a minute. Um, but we've also got this idea of internal um sources as well and for me the internal resources are the ones that we find quite often you will find in your psychiatry room i'll find within the therapy work that i'm doing quite a lot of these ideas and so for me they're a little more interesting and and, and we get these from two sort of two core two two areas one is from yoga sutra and it's defined in actually quite a very sophisticated way um, it's within the section in chapter two, roughly two, chapter 234 of Yoga Sutra, and it's in the section on us understanding our actions. And it's it's looking at us understanding our actions and walking around those actions to look at them from a different perspective. And so it's looking at our intention behind the action and how actually when we combine anger with an action, how that consequence and the impression that is left and and what manifests after that creates a knock-on effect. And it's looking at you to understand the interactions you're having with other people, how they become cycles of interactions that happen again and again. So I got a call from a client late last night, midnight. I was just about to go, called me up, said, 
I need to talk to you. It's like, okay, you've got me. You know, it's just before midnight. Well, I went out with my partner. We went to this event. We did this, we did that, we did the other. You know, for God's sake, they don't have control over me. Why are they saying these things? What are they doing with these things? What's going on with these things? What's happening here? I said, stop for a minute. I said, actually, it's not about he said, she said. Step back from what's going on from this. Where are you? Where have you been? We've been out all day. We've been working very, very hard for the last four or five days. Where are you going after this? Well, we're both going away. I'm going to Hong Kong and they're going to South America. So you're both leaving each other. And what was the situation about? Well, the situation was actually, it was playing itself out. And the client just stopped there dead for a moment and said, I'm repeating the same things again and again, aren't I? I said, exactly. So what's happening is that the person isn't understanding a number of different things within the situation that they're in. They are actually starting to hold on to a notion about who they are in a particular way. I make my own decisions. I want something. I want to be heard. I want to be seen. And they're holding on to those very strongly and they don't want something to happen. So if I break this down a little further so that it makes a bit more sense, we can define anger as desire that isn't met. I want to stay with someone, but I have to leave them. So I want something, but it's not going to happen. I want to be heard, but no one is listening to me. What happens is you get anger. So in yoga, we start to look at these numbers of different roots of these things. So we start to look at what is what is it that we're holding on to? What's the attachment? Okay, so in this case with the client that was last night, is that they wanted to make their own decisions. They wanted to do a number of different things. They didn't want any influence from their partner. And they also didn't want to leave their partner and go back to work where they had to go. And so what happened is that you combine it with tiredness, you combine it with travel, you combine it with numbers of other things, you start to get a complete rationality. So there is a, an attachment that is there, a strong attachment that is there. An attachment means that we're holding on to something. There is a desire, which means we want something. So we're holding on to something and we actually want something. And we're also invested in it in a particular way. So there's an identity and reference point about who or what we think we are or someone else should be as well. And it means that you want or the situation appears that it, and you're not getting what you want. Am I making sense within this? Have I explained it clearly? You have. Mm. I think it brings on the quite very interesting question for me, which is when we're angry, who are we really angry about then? Who are we really angry at? Right. It's like your client, on first glance, it sounds like your client was angry with their partner. Right. And the partner is not meeting certain things. I'm tired. I've done this. I need to do that. And I'm just angry because I got peed off. Mm. But actually, when you dissect it in the way that you dissected it, then is it because they're angry? Sorry, they're angry because they are repeating a cycle again and again. And one, they don't recognize it. Mm -hmm. Or two, they recognize it and couldn't quite do anything about it just yet. 
So in, in, in instances like this is that I think you've jumped to a very interesting idea here. And the idea that you're presenting is crucial because both cases are, co are completely correct and true. Sometimes we're not aware of something and you're repeating a cycle again and again. And, and you must see this in psychology as well as I see it with the yoga therapy. So the reason why we get people to do breathing techniques, meditation techniques and movement is that actually we want them to be aware of something they're not aware of. And often it's what they're holding on to or what they're frightened of or what they're wanting or the identity they have about themselves that we're challenging because it's through using these techniques that we can actually begin to help someone. But even being aware of it doesn't mean that you will be able to navigate it. Okay. Cause quite frankly, we might not be able to see these things. You yeah. Know? And sometimes we're very, you know, if I, if I look at number of, a number of different causes given for, for anger, like pain or frustration or irritation or tiredness or hunger or, you know, puberty or hormonal changes, drugs, use of drugs, you know, grief, rudeness, fatigue, illness, you know, sexual tension, injustice. We start to look at all of these actually fundamentally beneath them. They're steps that we have to go beneath to begin to ask some much deeper questions. And I think that the Yoga Sutra idea is actually giving the how. How do we begin to uncover this? So when I look at a reference for anger, Within yoga, this is where it comes. It comes in this area because we have to start to question very strongly when we find ourselves in difficult situations about our involvement with anger, with this. You know, is it our anger or are we dealing with someone else's anger or is the situation inflammatory within its nature? And Bhagavad Gita takes a slightly different approach with regard to this. And what the Bhagavad Gita does is it doesn't say anything about how. It's quite clever. It, it just it, all it does is it in in chapter two. Um, it, it gives I think chapter two sixty two. I think it was sixty two, sixty two, sixty three. Um, it it it's, it says that actually, when we create or we grasp something with our mind, and we hold onto something quite tightly, we develop attachment to them, and it's from that attachment that we get in a desire. Now, it's not saying that attachment is bad. It's just giving you the point to say that actually, because something comes into your perception, you develop an attachment to it. So it's a little like if I, if I buy this cup here and I've got, this is my cup, it's got, you know, my initials on it. it it's, it's, it's my cup. I identify with it. My senses go with it. I, I become a tea, you've got your cup as well. So become attached to it. And, and from that, it's like when I make a cup of tea, I want my cup. And actually, when I go there and I open the, where's my cup? Why is my cup not there? Who's using my cup? You know, so actually from that, because I want to make a cup of tea, what the back of head seat is saying is that from that point, then anger comes. And so from that comes delusion. Because what happens is I turn around and go, who's got my teacup? Someone's got it. All right, someone's taken it. And what they've done with it, they've broken it and they've hidden it. They've broken it and they've hidden it. And what they've done is they haven't told me about it. And so it's saying that the next step actually is a delusional step. It means that what you start to do is we start to actually create, when we escalate anger even more, we actually start to add in lots of these kind of ideas and you must see this in clinic quite a bit where someone turns around and they actually does that make sense 
No, I'm trying to remember the time when I share my flat with other people and then my things gone missing. That's the anger that that's you yeah. just create remind me of. Yeah. Um, but but also you can sort of see this this sort of thing. What do they do with it? Where do they put it? How do they, you know, and, and also there becomes a confusion of memory because it, it's like I blame someone else or I do something. I say, well, someone else has broken my cup or someone's done this. And actually what's happened is I've left it somewhere else in the house and I've forgotten about it. So there actually becomes a confused memory. But then what happens is that person comes in that I live with and I accuse them. I say, you've taken my cup and you've broken it. I know you've done that. And what have you done with it? So you actually start to twist the sort of the reasons behind things because of all this has happened. And then what you start to do is you start to then sabotage the relationship. So the Bhagavad Gita actually gives a chain of actions that are involved in it, which is slightly different from the way that Yoga Sutra deals with it. Yoga Sutra gives you the how, how to unlock the patterning that anger is tied up within. And I think that both are saying something interesting is that they're actually saying that anger is fundamentally a part of you. They're not saying that you have to get rid of anger. They're not actually saying, and this is why I find interesting, and also with an Ayurveda as well, is that they're, they're not kind of going, anger is bad. And I think that this is another thing that we're coming up against, is the educational aspect with regard to anger. And I think it's a very important message where anger is not bad, is inappropriate expression or unproportion, unproportionate? Yeah, unproportionate expression of anger that causes harm that is the thing that we want to watch out for what i find really interesting about your example or learn, learning or you know channeling of bhagavad gita was that how when there's a relationship then you have an attachment and then that is where what is causing the anger because i think back onto the example that you've given us in for for the external sources of our anger you gave the example of government and also our parents hmm. Very interesting example because I often think of the terrible twos are actually the first time when we really learn to deal with anger. So, you know, in this childhood developmental stage, we often call when the children are at two years old, mm. then that's a really, really tough period for the parents. Mm. And I've observed it in a few children where I think that's the stage when we learn how to differentiate what we want and what we don't want and really truly express it. Mm. And the best person to do that with will be a caretaker. And most of the time that would mean our parents, sometimes maybe it's other close relatives. I think that is very interesting because obviously one is very challenging for parents or caretaker to deal with. But at the same time, following your logic, because of the attachment, because how the interaction goes at those point of time, it creates more attachment in the future, causes kind of more issues follow on, so to speak. And that almost in some way confirm what a lot of psychology or, you know, psychoanalytical theory is saying, because if you, especially in the Freudian school, a lot of the time we trace these issues back into our parents, back into, you know, our, our original relationship, which is usually with our caretaker. I'll give an example, because I have a client recently, I think we talked about him before, where he's really struggling with his work for a period of time because he's very, very demanding. And often, even when you do a good job, you don't really get recognized. You get, it's like, okay, you've done the good job, you've done the job, fine. You, you've, you turn in your work on time or even a little bit early. Okay, but here's the next one. There's like, that's not a lot of compliments. There's not a lot of recognition. But at the same time, this can very easily have a lot of criticism and a lot of room for improvement, so to speak. 
And working with this client is interesting because as we go through again and again, kind of like how you're saying it, it's like, where did this cycle, where did this pattern play itself out in the past? And actually my client trades it back to with their mother. Mm-hmm. But the mother is also very high achieving is not overcritical, but at the same time, because of the comparison, how high achieving the mother is or the parents are, actually, it, there's always a constant pressure that's not quite good enough. But that's in the, and this is the interesting thing for me is that's in their perception. And it's in their perception. And, 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 and again, I think that it's too easy to blame and create excuses and this is what i think because if we look at and i want to come look at this with you later on is that i want to i want to look at a few things first of all with you because i think that we 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 quite interesting in the work in how we're sort of developing this and i think that if we come to look at let's do a couple of things first but i thought i want to look at with you just the the idea of of the pattern and how it manifests because i think that blame is a very easy one to hold on to and what does blame do with anger does it actually park anger does it help us to process anger or does it actually increase the anger that there is there and increase the attachment that's in there because for me this is a question around this that i'd like to to ask because i, I think to identify things and to get that to the root back to you know work back to the root which i think is a very interesting thing to do is to look at a cause of something and just actually go Actually, what I wanted is I wanted some recognition, but I never got recognition. So if I give an idea about a, what I mean by this is, is um, I spoke to a client today and she said, I need to tell you about a situation. So I was invited to a barbecue with my kids at the weekend. So I went to this barbecue with my children. And it was an afternoon barbecue and everyone was drinking. I don't drink, but everyone was drinking and, you know, floating around with their glasses of rosé and, you know, wearing their, you know, having fun. And, the you know, kids were playing and running around everywhere. And the barbecue was really good fun and everyone's very generous. And, you know, it's getting towards the early evening and the, I could see my kids were getting, you know, tired. And so I thought, actually, I need to take these guys home to bed. And so I said to, you know, the host, I'm just going to take the, the, the kids home to bed. And um, they were like, no, no. And everyone was like, no, no, stay, 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 stay. We've got the food. It's a special day. You know, the kids are actually OK. Just take them in front of the TV. They'll be absolutely fine. And the client was like, OK, 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 OK. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm overplaying this. You know, I'm overplaying these different things. And I'm overplaying this. And um stayed and then an hour later she's kind of watching and then the kids are just kind of like really really tired she's thinking this this is going to be a problem so she goes so oh, i'm going to take the kids home and they're like, no 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 stay 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 so she said okay fine fine got an hour later kids were in an absolute state my client she, she was so upset and feeling very emotional really really emotional and she needed to get the kids home so she, she took them straight home to sleep and she got there and she was you know, she was really kind of shaking and upset about this whole thing. And we started to untangle it. We started to sort of go through it. And, you know, she's observed something. She knew she had to take her kids home. Her kids are actually ill now because they stayed out so late and they didn't get any sleep. She knows her kids very well. She said something to everyone and it was dismissed. She wasn't listened to, nor was what she said acted on and everyone sort of overpowered her in this way and we started talking about this more and more and it's a theme that's been running through her whole life and in fact it links back to 
the situation with her father that she's been working on. And it's like this kind of cycle of things that are happening. And in a way, we think we've navigated it, but actually have we navigated it? I think this links back to very much what you're saying is that in a way I said to her, it's very easy for us to blame on this situation, but what can we do about it? What's the thing that we can actually do about it to navigate it? Is it, I can see where you're coming from. I think there, there's a route that can be taken, which is down the blaming routes, which is, oh my God, I'm not doing this. I'm not being hurt because of my relationship with my father. Yeah. I see another possibility where you can use one relationship to inform another mm. where unless sadly your parents pass away mm. sometimes what can happen is ongoing relationship with the with your parents actually then you learn something about that this relationship from the situation that you was just in which so, is what time did so i thought that, that that's also interesting yeah, so, so what that means is what you're saying is that, in a way, the relationships that you have are opportunities for you to understand the way that you interact with yourself and other people, and for you to have the capacity to outmaneuver the constant cycles that you find yourself in. Yes. So rather than actually to blame, okay, well, this came from this situation. It means that with the engagement, so the client has this engagement with her father and she's working on these things all the time, but it's, she said it's so obvious now that she's seen it in this way. It's so obvious how it's constantly playing out in these other ways, but yet she still forms part of these overall cycles of these things. I think maybe another way I want to think about this as an opportunity mm -hmm. is because these things, um, these relationships, like the ones that we have with our parents and the government, our reference point because these are the one things that more or less constantly is there you know government as a as a nation's regulatory body unless mm -hmm. you move away or something like that you you more more or less constantly interacting with it the same with your parents you know this is the relationship some of my clients some of my patients might run away from them for, for a period of time but often they come back into it in different wave shapes or form so maybe these opportunities there because they are reference point you always come back to the same thing again and again mm. in some way to kind of show have you changed have you moved have you stayed the same are you progressing or actually you choose not to do anything about it but all these reference points externally are changing anyway mm because they change. Um, so they're an external reference point, whether it's a, a greater one than you, so the government, your parents, an employer, you know, a, a, a kind of like someone that you know deals, does your, does your broadband. You know, the worst thing in the world is when you and I are talking and broadband goes down. It's it's kind of like it's that outside, it's a, it's a, it's a superior force that kind of, kind of comes in and does that. But then we've also got things that we're responsible for, like you mentioned, like the, you know, like these crazy young people or dogs or animals or something you, you know we're responsible for these things and they can actually because they're external to us they can cause an issue as well but i think we also have this with regard to our equals as well so with regard to interaction with partners with friends with colleagues and then we have random interactions from external so you know with regard to road rage racist attacks um attacks based on how we look by other people which are completely enough to be random or we get sort of collective situations. So it's like, you know, for some reason, there's just this kind of, kind of like 
other people transfer anger onto other people as part of a collective thing. It's a collective thing because anger is a very strong emotion that in some way can unite people. It can unite people. If you think, let's say we all see the news and we all see the news and we all, everyone sort of, you know, gets exposed to the news and suddenly, you know, we're told this is happening or that's happening or the other's happening. We react to that straight away as a collective group and we influence and affect each other. So this is for me, it's a collective sort of response to something. Hmm. We've also got internal sources, which we have a, we have a combination. Because I, I liked where you started this with regard to hereditary. You know, you said some being an obstetrician, you see that some people born angry. I mean, there's a side. You know, it, it, we, in, in in Eastern side of things, we we look at this. We say if you've got jaundice, you're you know you're born angry. Does that make sense? And this is a it's also it's like a hereditary pattern that you actually find that's in place there um we've also got this other thing with regard to behavioral patterns so again it can be behavioral patterns that we have we're dealing with a situation what we consider as appropriate or not appropriate something that we learn by ourselves as a coping mechanism as part of this overall thing so what I'm seeing with this is I see that actually we have these a number of internal sources which form part of this overall thing. And I think that this is really important. So in a way, we've got these external sources that are a part of this. So then we've also got these internal sources. The internal sources are hereditary aspects. And the hereditary side within Ayurveda, they look at seven generations of these different issues that are actually coming together and, and manifesting themselves into a person. Then we also look at what we're taught. And the taught responses are quite interesting, especially to situations. So often we're taught particular things. So we're taught, and if you think about this, we're taught um, how do we respond to a situation? And quite often someone will teach us how to respond, let's say, to a policeman. You know, why do some people swear at policemen? Okay, rather than respect them, because are we are we taught it? Are we taught how to do these things? Or is it something that we've actually learned by ourselves as a coping mechanism because we've had an experience of something? And in Stanford, what you're mentioning earlier is this idea that we've had an experience of something and then we relate that experience whether that experience is like you mentioned with the honking of a horn there's a correlation between our past experience and our current experience that ignites that anger and it becomes a defense so in fact anger in this situation is a perceived threat or fear Roll so, rage. Mm, roll rage. so I, I see that actually what we've got is we've got external we've got internal but we've also got combined external internal um, with regard to how we take things in and how we then express these things out. I think for me, I'd like to ask a question to you is that I'd like to break down with you. What do we do with our anger normally? What's its mode of expression? You know, because you, you mentioned something quite interesting. You mentioned about blame. And 
for me, I think that blame is a fear response. We're frightened of losing something. So if I'm frightened of losing something, I, I kind of, I want to blame someone else. I want to go, well, well, it was actually him. It was Stanford. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything at all. You know, he did it. It's my internet. It's not me. <laughs> right, exactly. Nothing to do with me whatsoever. So for me, there's there's responses that we have to situations that ignite anger. And why I'm interested in this just as a yoga therapist is that I need to design. I need to think about the pattern that someone is taking. Because for me, anger, like you said, we said at the beginning, it's fundamental emotion. And I find that most of the people I work with of aspects, I'm, I'm looking at how they process anger in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. That's what I'm looking at because it shows me so much. So one of the questions I ask people is like, what made you angry? How, when were you angry last? You know, what pissed you off? I need mm -hmm. to understand. And when someone turns around to me and goes, I don't get angry. I'm like, really? Yeah. So if I give an idea, I was, I spoke to someone yesterday and their father have le has left and they're not talking to them at all anymore in the slightest. So father's left, not talking to them at all. I said, how do you feel about this? Completely fine. She's a young girl. She's about 17 years old. Completely fine. So you're not talking to your father. You're okay with it? Yes. What do you feel? Feel nothing. How long has your father been gone? Five years. Have you spoken to him? No. Are you okay with it? Yes. However, she has vertigo. She has tinnitus. She can't get up and go to work. I'm like, interesting. So that's not, a lot of pressure within. Yeah. I'm I'm do you see what I mean? So for me, it, it means that I'm starting to understand how 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 people are dealing with things that ought to make them angry but yet they say they're don't they're okay with that they've dealt with that because i think that if we want to if if we deal with the anger healthily we express it in the way that we ought to express it you know like if you're pissed off with me you'll turn around to me and say that colin i'm pissed off with you and I'll go, okay, I get it. And I'll take responsibility. I won't blame. I'll go, you're completely right. I was a dick. I did this, this, and this. Yeah, I'm sorry. And you go, okay. And we've done that before together. Do you see what I mean? You've been, you've been really clear with it. You said, you know, this, this, this. And it's really helpful for our relationship because you're able to communicate. I'm able to listen. I can take responsibility for more part, my part of it. We can speak with each other. You can then allow yourself to have that feeling and know that you can trust me enough that actually I won't judge you and it's an equal and I won't run away from it and I won't deny it and I won't push it back onto you and go well you did this this and this so it's your issue it means that actually yeah it means that what's happening is we're starting to look at how do we process it in a healthy way based on you know the attachment desire identity you know matrix that we're kind of building with this and it becomes very healthy hmm. And it means that what's happening is that the power that's behind that anger suddenly subsides. It just goes. Yeah. It's been processed. It moves through. And we're able to reflect on it and work with it. But actually what we start to get is we start to get huge numbers of variables of different outcomes based on the way that different people work with anger. 
I was just going to say, I think the two early examples you gave is kind of almost typical what I see in my work. Mm. The first often is actually denial. People don't think or don't accept or don't recognize that they're angry. And then the blaming come after. That's how I usually see it, where then they almost with, with a small thing that they flip out and actually they become angry at something else, someone else, or back to the original subject, or original person or event, but not because of the original reasons. It's like, um, for example, I, I, I forgot to attend in the homework. The teacher was angry, but the teacher needed to be you know, polite and not say anything. And then later on, I answer the question wrongly. And it's like, oh, why are you so stupid? That, that is so clear. I've explained it two things already, like twice already. Why are you so doing this again? Actually, the anger was about the original things when I handed my homework late. But the expression was about like, smaller things later on down the line. Okay. And I see that very often because like in psychoanalytical therapy per se, Actually, us working as therapists, we very often become the objects of anger inside the clinic room yeah. because we keep talking about all these events in the past or they're going through time and time again, and then they become angry with us. And I wonder, do you see the same thing in your line of work as a yoga therapist? Okay. In, in yoga therapy, we don't dig in the past, which I think is, a very, is, is an interesting thing. We understand the cause of something, so which is important. So if someone turns around and says, well, you know, my father's left, and this has happened, that's happened. I won't turn around and dig deeper and deeper and deeper into it because it reinforces the attachment and it reinforces, according to us in, in, in yoga therapy, this is what it does, it reinforces those things. So we don't look, we don't reinforce it. What we want to do is we want to look at how they're actually dealing with the emotions that they've got in place. And then we want to put a tool in place to help them with the process of that emotion. So it, it means that, I need to often give examples which become healthy examples or point something out to them so that actually what happens is that they can make a link with something. So in this case, you know, I, I've got, if I suppress it, like I'm actually really okay and I don't go there. No, no, no. I, you know, I don't feel anything. It's actually a suppression of an urge because it's, it's an urge to be angry, to be, you know, to do this. I like what you just gave as an example, because this is also quite an interesting way of doing it, is that we, in a way, we don't express the anger in the situation that we should express it in. Is it that we're too slow? Is it that we don't do it? Is it that we don't have the opportunity to do it? Is it that we hold on to it? Is it that we're actually in some kind of shock or grief that actually what we don't do is we don't deal with it then? But actually, we deal with it in another situation, which may be a safe situation or in a way that we're used to doing it. And we haven't found another mechanism in order to do this. And I find this in numbers of ways. The reason I say that in this way is that I find it with regard to addiction. So by taking a drug, by taking putting something into the system, it becomes a catalyst for their for, for an emotion to either be numbed or to move. Or it could be that what happens is that, you know, someone comes home and there's a person that they are very close to. And that person, you know, there's an emotion that's caught with inside. And I had a client like this, that everything would be fine, but then they would go home and almost they'd pull a pin out of a grenade and throw it into the room with their partner and the whole room would explode. But they would do it so that they could get their frustration and anger out about something else that involve them in the overall process. 
Does that make sense? It does. And I think almost it's a bit of a response to a learned mm. process, a learned response. Yeah. My example is, well, as I said, I, I used to be a surgeon. I used to, I used to be surgically trained, as you know. And in a surgery, there's blood everywhere, you know, you know, but we have to surgically open someone in order to help them to remove something, to put something in, to do a lot of different techniques and procedure in order to do to have a positive effect. But if you re- if I really think about it back into those experiences, it's actually quite traumatic as you for example if i'm i'm actually a you know a wild animal the only opportunity where i see another being being open bloody and all these rest of it is actually when my survival probably is going to be threatened because mm. something is being attacked literally mm. but my training taught me i have to deal with this logically and calmly and in a manner that i don't freak out i don't shout i don't scream i have to talk very politely i have to communicate well with everyone else around me despite my own emotion i have to navigate the situation despite the complication actually also deal with the complication successfully in order to have a good achieve a good outcome so inside half an hour an hour or some three hour surgery there probably was a lot of emotion happening. There's a lot of fear, maybe a lot of anger, a lot of agitation, a lot of frustration. But I was, I learned not to express them. I almost learned to kind of numb it or suppress it and not think about it. And they have to, as you said, come out in a different way because my survival instinct will have to kick in at some later stage. Right. And maybe it was when I go out, have a drink with a friend at the down at the pub, or maybe it's when I back at home and, you know, just be on my own. And I now have the space to reflect back what happened during the day. And I know not everyone had the same experience inside surgical theater, but I do wonder, because in, in the business world, let's just say, there's a lot of situation and scenarios where you have to play almost for survival for your advantage but we learn not to act them out in an animalistic way in an instinctive way survival way actually have to navigate it quite cleverly Mm -hmm. is that maybe one of the reasons why we learn not to express our anger so openly all the time I, i would say that that and also we're told not to do it because it's a sign of weakness Mm. also because actually there's so much force associated with anger you know if you think about it there's a huge amount of force associated with it it's an energetic release Mm. it's also a transformative energy you know in in a way i I worked with i'm working with a client at the moment that um used their anger to become hugely successful and that actually what we're working with, with the anger, is to not to take the anger away, but to live alongside that underlying anger that they have because they enjoy their success. Mm. So almost in a way, it, it's, it's, it, it can be, how do you utilize that underlying emotion that is there, and maybe it's burning and always going to be there, it's it's you see it's on one end of a spectrum. The other is that you've got a temporary aspect of, or an interrupted aspect of anger. So you've got anger that comes up and comes down, or you've got anger that is just temporary associated with the situation. So yeah. I think you can have sort of these different aspects with regard to anger. So there's a deep anger, and I know within this one client, this deep anger comes from a a particular want and need that they had 
that wasn't met. Yeah. And that particular need and want that they had that wasn't met and a repulsion towards the person they wanted it from had propelled them within their life to massive success. So in fact, it was a transformative energy. But this is in one case, and that's in 1% of cases. In 99% of cases, it can be destructive energy. Mm. It can turn into bullying, abuse, violence, being passive aggressive. It can, it, you know, it, it moves things. Anger moves things internally and also externally. So it, it, there's a movement within it. It's in, in Eastern thought, it's linked to fire. And that means it can consume things. It can light up the way. It can burn things. So I think that when you're saying this, I think that what we have is we've got, especially when you've got people that use anger to manipulate, to guilt trip, you know, they desperately want someone else to do something. So they shout at them or they make them feel a certain way. Or like I said, you know, pull a, a pin out of a grenade and they throw it into a room because they want attention. They want to release something. They want something to actually occur. And as you were mentioning it, we also do this thing with anger is that we transfer it onto different people and different things rather than be angry at who we ought to be angry at or what we ought to be angry at, because actually either we're not aware of it or we don't want to go there or it's too difficult to go there. We need to do something with those emotions. And I've come across a, a number of cases recently um, and, and successfully worked with them in clinic with regard to anxiety. And actually the confusion that the feeling someone's had that it is anxiety, but actually it's anger. Mm. And so often there can be a confusion of feelings within this. And actually anxiety and anger are kind of interesting in the way that they, they relate to each other. And you'll find this within clinical situations. Um, I remember the first time we spoke about anger, we were toying between these two topics as well, either go down with anxiety or anger. Mm. I, I think what you said was very true in the Western psychology as well. Kind of the example you gave how you can channel someone's anger, like long stem, always presence anger into something very successful and actually productive, um, almost like a propelling forces. Um, in, in Western psychology, there are all these, uh, we describe how we have different defense mechanism. And sometimes some of these are same mechanisms or like the more healthy one. And there's a more psychotic one, which is slightly less than healthy one. Um, not always, because I think sometimes some are more useful than the others in certain situations, even if they're described as psychotic uh, mm -hmm. defense mechanism. So what you describe is elimination. So it's how um, we satisfy the impulse. So in this case, an anger with a substitute object and it's usually so, so socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I have the example that I used to work with a really brilliant doctor who, who, who worked in the oncology field, working with cancer, cancer patient all the time. And they're brilliant because I think somewhere in the past, they lost a family member to cancer. So that's huge anger towards the disease and the process itself. Mm -hmm. And actually that become, as you said, a driving force and almost a very transformative force for the person to work with other people who had to you know, fight against the disease itself. Mm. But it is not always easy because it takes a lot of other factors in order to, you know, make someone so successful and good in that field. Mm. Sometimes what happened, as you described already, other defense mechanism can be repression. So you're pushing things down. Mm. I think given the 
analogy before where it's kind of like a boiling pot of water like you just put the lid on it and eventually it's gonna it's gonna blow up sometimes you have to take it off the fire denial we've spoken about projections and displacement these are both about displacing your emotion to somewhere else and some something else or some other events or regression which is also very interesting because i don't think quite touch on that yet where you kind of withdrew from it and i know we talked about this some a few times before as well where I sometimes see a lot of anger in patients who come into my clinic room when they have depression. Because mm. sometimes I, I, this is my own clinical experience where when I when I see and communicate with patients who come in with depression, there's almost this smoldering mm. feeling to them where kind of like you said, it's, there's a small fire that's burning somewhere. You can't always see it, but I can almost feel it in the background where there's a lot of anger either towards other people or a lot of the times actually inward towards themselves but it's not quite expressed mm-hmm. i think that is also very interesting yeah yeah i, I in, in this way I, I work as you know i work with quite a lot with addiction and um i was working been working with one client for about a year now and they relapsed this weekend and we had a, a meeting today and we we sat down and they looked to me and I looked at them and I said, I need to let you know something. First, you don't need to apologize because I know what you want to do is you want to apologize to me. And also I need to let you know that you don't need to beat yourself up because I know that you'll be feeling guilt and you'll be feeling shame. And I know you're feeling this because actually you feel that you've put promises in place and you've let numbers of people down. And I know what you're also going to do as well is that you're going to turn around and you're going to say, I'm worried about this person or this person or this person. And this is avoidance and distraction techniques by saying that you're worried about this, this and this. And then also you are going to push yourself to get back on track as fast as possible. And you're going to try and do as many things as possible. And actually what that's going to do is it's going to not help you to process the anger you're feeling and also the drugs that you've taken it's going to increase your anxiety. You're tired and you're exhausted. And you think this is a disaster and I'm not going to judge you. So now we've got all of that on the table. We need to understand that actually the right response to this is that you need to be compassionate to yourself. You need to be kind to yourself for the next week. You need to look after yourself. You need to rest and build up your strength and stability so that we can then look at other things. So for me, what we start to get is that the anger that we have starts to become very much involved in these things and people start to then move. Like you mentioned, they kind of almost, they they move in a very interesting way, how they start to create either inward movements or outwards movements. And we, you and I, are more comfortable in, in actually understanding this process so we can help someone to navigate it. And, and that's what I find kind of interesting because it's combinations of internal out external distraction suppression avoidance denial so actually it's not just one category it's many categories that actually appear in one person based on then coming to terms with something that they're angry about or the anger that's running through them so this is different opportunity for them to learn mm-hmm. again what does anger really mean and feel like 
when we started the conversation already saying actually it's incredibly common it's almost in a lot of ways an essential part of life because that's part of our innate response right if you think about jealousy you know jealousy is we want something and we want something that someone else has mm. so we're jealous of it it's anger you know, yeah, if, we're stubborn, if we're stubborn, you know, there's a stubbornness in there. There's an anger there. If we're full of pride, there's an anger there. You know, if you think about disassociation, you know, there's fear. We disassociate, you know, quite often there's a pattern of disassociation with things. There's anger in place there. So when we start to look at all these different movements that are occurring, I think there's quite a lot of anger in place. Mm-hmm. recognizing it and actually tapping it in the right way almost can help us to keep moving in life as well and for me the question like we're asking is what can we do about it i mean in yoga we we use yoga's tools and techniques so that we can actually observe our behavioral pattern and the you know the reality of a situation rather than actually what we want to see and so the awareness of our action with ourselves and other people is what we're looking to cultivate by putting the right tools in, which is an individual thing. Mm. Not saying that we need to get rid of anger. We're talking about pacification. And pacification is something that we're using to get some sort of stability because, like I mentioned in the case I just talked about, is that there's no point trying to deal with all the situation from an unstable place. So we need to pacify the situation first to get to a point of stability. And it's only at that point of stability that we can then start to allow things to process and flow. And I also think that one of the biggest things I say is is there's nothing wrong with the feeling of anger. It's an expression. It's a feeling. Um, And I think with all the different case studies I've learned from you or learned with you or work together on, some of the time when, because like in yoga and and Ayurveda, sometimes the signs of inflammation is also understood in the in this in as a fire, but that's been displaced or too much in the wrong place. And I remember very vividly, you always say you need to bring the fire back into the right place. Mm. Almost in some way, I will understand anger in the same way, where anger itself is good because you need the fire in your life, but you need to bring it into the right place. You need to understand it, recognize it, express it in the right way right person in the right medium so they help us to move forward or move to a direction that's desirable is that destroy and destru- um, destructions hmm. you yeah you you're completely correct because actually they give all fire-based conditions they say there's anger involved things like fever you know they'll say that diarrhea they'll say that those type of things they'll say that actually one of the causes of those things is anger um if we look at it from a perspective of inherent qualities, so it, it means that anything, or if, if there's an aggravation of fire, like skin conditions, so if, if, if it spreads onto different parts of the skin, as you just said, these type of things, we look at that there's anger involved in this. So something like psoriasis, the fire has moved from the abdomen to the top of the head or to different points of the body. It, it, there's some kind of anger in there. So again, with regard to tumors that occur within parts of the body, Ayurveda also says this is anger and this, and that's how it's manifesting in this area. Is there any science behind it to validate it? I don't know. Um, but it's that's what they're saying. 
In another aspect of it is that when we look at it from a gunic perspective, and the gunas are sub underlying supportive forces, um, three forces that actually complement one another. And they look at it that actually the movement guna, the movement isn't supported in the right way. So there isn't an actual support that comes with it. And so that becomes an instability. So I think for me, this complements the idea that we're looking at with regard to classifying things, because we need to bring some support back into place in order to deal with anger. It's like when we have conflict resolution things is that how you come to listen is that you're creating a space in order to create support in order to pacify the movement of anger that's occurring so it's i think it's quite complementary and quite interesting mm. the way that these two different two different sides are working um what's for me what's come out of today is that i really like um the idea of what you're saying with regard to Western psychology saying about anger and how it is inherent within absolutely everything. Um, and then I also like on the other side of it, what the Eastern side is saying that it was also inherently part of everything. So I think there's a kind of recognition from both sides that um, it's in, there is a, anger is inherently part of all things. Mm. And what I've really enjoyed is this time we managed to almost feel like dive much deeper into the topic of anger, where we look at how it's expressed on the surface, but also more deep down, why is it there in the first place? Is it related to uh, a survival instinct that we all have? Is it because in the Ayurvedic and yoga perspective, it relates to the sign fire, the elements of fire, where it move us forward and transform? Is it something that can manifest physically and psychologically, emotionally, like where all these things, we actually have the opportunity to go through once again and in a much deeper way so i really enjoy that thank you thank you um yeah i i, I think that both both sides are saying it's important to understand the route that anger is taking and also to understand that there is going to be consequences if it isn't allowed to flow in the right way so it's a natural part of us like laughter is a part of us and we can't suppress it. We mustn't suppress it. It has to flow. I think that's the wisdom for me that's coming from both sides of those things. Absolutely. Thank you, Stanford. Thank you. I'll see you next time when we will be discussing back pain. I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. And if you do enjoy these podcasts, please leave a comment, subscribe to our channels, like us, whatever you want to do, share us out. Thank you. See you next time. Thanks.